bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hello everyone and happy belated new year because by the time this comes out it'll be February but welcome to a new season of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. I'm your host Ewan Patterson and with me today to kick off 2024 of the pod is Xander Garden. So we're talking about showgirls right? No we're not talking. We saw. We're not talking about showgirls? It's not really a dad movie is it? Can you imagine watching showgirls with your dad? I mean our friend did. Our, our friend didn't. They Bad. turned it off after 45 minutes after they cri- very quietly said, do you want me to turn it off? And he went, yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, as you will tell from the title of this episode, we're not talking about showgirls, although oh. Zan will be introducing a showgirls agenda into this every For the, now and Every then. single episode that I'm now on for the rest of the year, I'll be inputting showgirl-isms. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge I'm going to hold you to. Versace. Vers- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're talking about Heat, because with the release of Michael Mann's Ferrari, um, our beloved local timeside cinema, which did not die, to quote the Muppets Christmas Carol, <laughs> and Christmas Carol in general, because that's a quote from the actual novel, and that still kind of blows my mind, um, survived. And for the start of the year, to kick off, you know, Ferrari and stuff, they've got Michael Manuary going on, mm-hmm. which isn't just lasting in January, it's going on into March as well, where they're showing every single Michael Mann movie that was theatrically released, and to kick things off, they went with what many would consider to be his magnum opus, the 1995 criminal thriller, brilliant extravaganza, blue-looking L.A. set, Al Pacino, Coke snorting, Work, Bob honey, De Niro yes, shooting, <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer hair flowing, heat! We're talking about heat! Yeah, I mean, it's it's going on until March, but Manuary is just a state of mind. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, you know, uh, we are a Michael Mann stan. Yeah. Stans. Um, love us a good bit of uh, Manhunter. Um, man, we, we could say that we're hunting for man. We we, we are Michael indeed man, hunting, that is. <laughs> hunting for man. Uh, my brain's fried, uh, so I immediately can't think of any of the Michael Mann movies. Well, I uh, showed ever. you Thief. We did Thief, Thief already. Of course, of course, I actually, d- we did Thief, and, and I, I probably angered a lot of Mann fans, so I was like, it was fine. Honestly, like, that, how could you? I think that one's a grower. I think that's one that kind of, like, it through rewatches, I think maybe you, you will enjoy it more, but... You know, you you love Collateral, which we'll probably of course, end up yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. Um, and I've also covered Last of the Mohicans last year, so this is the third man movie that we're doing. Um, Timeside obviously is showing all of them, so I will be getting to watch The Keep for the first time. I don't know if I'll cover it for the podcast. We'll be manhuntering. Manhunter yeah. definitely, I think, has to be on here just because mm-hmm. it's so fucking cool, and I love the Thomas Harris Hannibal Lecter novels and the ad- various adaptations and whatever. Um, but we're talking about heat today, and in 35mm as well, which is a glorious treat, as always. And uh, interestingly, this movie, I'd only seen it once before, and that would have been about seven-ish years ago in the stinky, slimy, rat-infested heat and hovel that I was set up in. in my heat first... and hovel. Yeah, in yeah. my first year how, of what culture. How apt. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I don't think it was the optimal viewing conditions. I remember really, really liking it and appreciating it, but I didn't have that emotional connection that I had watching it on the big screen. And I, I, I don't want to reach for all the superlatives instantly. 
Um, but genuinely, I had like such a euphoric experience watching this in the cinema. Like totally transcendental. I felt my soul levitating at the ending. Um, it is a masterpiece. It is a magnum opus. But going into it, I was like, oh, you know, The Inside is probably my favourite Michael Mann movie. And now I'm looking at Heat and thinking I need to reassess my top ten and you're, films you were whiplashed. You were like, fully whiplashed, yeah. Genuinely just a beautiful work of fiction. Everyone involved at the peak of their talents. Um, just, yeah. And it was great because obviously for you, it was a first watch. It was. It was. A, I, 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 the reason I was convinced to watch it you were like, oh, do you want to come see it? And I was like, ah, oh, you know. And then you were like, Val Kilmer's in it. And I was like, oh, well, in that case, <laughs> in that case. Also, we very regularly quote the, um, she's got a great ass and your head is all the way up And it. also, um, you knew that when you and me hugged up, baby, baby you were going to have to share me. And we've only seen those Al Pacino-isms out of context. Well, you have only seen them I, Oh, sorry, I have only seen them. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully projecting right now. Um, so that's all I, I really knew about it. I knew it was like a crime movie. I knew that it was incredibly influential for the genre. Um, didn't receive any accolades, but is wildly considered one of the best movies ever made. One of the best action slash crime movies ever made. Uh, and yeah, very influential for the 90s. And it's just kind of a... a it's almost kind of weird and or wild in a way that it exists. Because you have these two actors, Pacino and De Niro, who have uh, been on screen before together in Godfather Part 2, but they never shared the screen because um De Niro was playing uh, Don Vito Don Corleone Vito, uh, Don Homer I, I think yeah. it's a special Don <laughs> He was playing the young version of, of Al Pacino's uh, dad in that movie um who, I can't remember the names the characters in the god Michael Oh my god um and so um yeah they they've been, been in a movie together but have never shared the screen together and so actually literally seeing them work off each other in in this movie and also work individually with their different um individual crews in in opportunity's uh, case him with the police force and then uh, in Demira's case with his little crew of thieves um plural to the to the original movie thief man's upgraded wow. oh no he's it's like alien to aliens <laughs> do you think there was ever a consideration where they were like we should make this thieves because <laughs> it was originally la takedown Yes, so interesting. You watched a video about this the other day. It was Little by White Lies. Little White Lies, talking yeah. about how... So Michael Mann basically already made this movie to a certain extent for a TV movie called LA Takedown. Originally it was going to be a pilot for a TV show, mm. and then the TV show didn't get picked up, so it just became a TV movie. Yeah, and um, a lot of the same elements are in that movie. You can watch the video by um, Little White Lies on YouTube. It literally came out maybe like a week ago. Really good video. Um, I like how the, the narrator is kind of really down low here, talking about Michael Mann. I feel like maybe I need to adopt this strategy for my serious essays. I quite like it. No, we need your presenter voice at all times. You need. You These need. are the top ten things you would need to know about heat. Here's everything I love about heat. Number one, it's hot. <laughs> Number two, it's humid. Number three, it's steamy. Number four, when Tom Sizemore leans around yeah. the diner and stares at that guy as Robert De Niro beats the shit out of a Nazi serial killer. <laughs> oh my god, we love a good laugh. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so LA Takedown. Um, there's a lot of the same elements. It has the diner scene in it. Um, it has a lot of the dialogue is the same. The heist is the same, where they ram the big truck into yes. the other one. Um, the main differences are obviously you don't have these big, big actors adding this real gravitas um, to the roles, and um, but also the relationship with the um, the love interest and the wives in the movie is very different. The ending's very different. Um, De Niro's character straight up is like brutally murdered, I believe, in it, or like he gets he gets he killed ex- by Wayne Grow in the yes, in the LA yes, paper. that's what it is, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so it the 
the shift focus on onto onto Wayne Grow and Vincent Hanna tracking him down. So it exists out there. If you want to be a, a Michael completionist, you can I'm sure hunt down LA take an LA take down. Um but obviously, you know, Heat is the fully developed studio version of it with so much more um, you know, money and obviously star power behind it. As I said before, it's honestly kind of wild seeing Pacino and De Niro work off each other, and we don't see that again until um, The Irishman. Correct me no, if I'm wrong, they were. We get some... Surely they were in a really bad comedy together afterwards. Surely they were in like some kind of. They've. I feel like they've done something else. Maybe. Maybe I'm making that up. I just. I feel like. I. I assume. I'll research while you. Were... Was it Dirty Grandpa? The no, no, to... that was just De Niro. That yeah. was just De Niro. There yeah. was something else, but um. But yeah, so he itself, it's um, you know, I, anyone familiar with Michael Mann will know that he has got his hooks in the crime genre. It's his bread and butter, going back to the days of Miami Vice through to stuff like Thief. Um, and he itself is based on a true story from a detective that I believe, oh, I could be making this up, I'm not doing great uh, research here, I believe Chuck Adamson advised or at least featured briefly in Thief. I think he had a tiny role in Thief when James Kahn's being interrogated. Um, but he consulted on that film, I believe. And um, this is based on the true story of Chuck Adamson's own relationship with um, a, a serial bank robber called Neil McCauley. Um, and so it's based on that true thing happened in the 1960s. Obviously, you know, there, are, there are different exaggerations and dramatizations or whatever. But you have that Michael Mann grounding and authenticity, and it really does shine through. Because what I love most about Mann as a filmmaker is that he blends kind of like the ethereal and like taking the beauty in in urban cityscapes and looking at the fragility of life and all that stuff, and matches that with sheer kind of authentic ferociousness. So the one thing that um, people are going to obviously think of when they think of Heat is the bank heist shootout, which is beautiful. It's, it's, it's one of those just absolutely just incredible set pieces. Amazing to watch on, on home and even better to watch on the big screen. The moment where Val Kilmer locks eyes with the cops and just opens up with the M4 is brilliant. Um, but to talk about the authentic element, one of my favourite behind-the-scenes photos on a movie ever is of Mick Gold, formerly of the British Special Air Service, who did a lot of the tactical work on Heat, posing with the most dripped-out-looking Val Kilmer, <laughs> both holding assault rifles. And I believe Mick Gold was like, yeah, Val Kilmer was like one of the most accomplished like firearms guys that I saw. Like and you see it in the movie, the way he's pulling off those reloads. And I do believe as well that that scene was used as training for the US Marine Corps on how to, you know, fire and retreat and keep up like suppressive fire as you're achieving yeah, the situation. Way, the way that he is able to spin like a hundred and eighty degrees back and forth, um, with such precision, um it co yeah, it comes off really, really, really well. The gunplay in this movie is, is very good. Yeah, totally. And it's it's one of those where I look at it and it, we, we spoke about Ronin the other month on the podcast. You know, very similar kind of 90s uh, tactical authenticity going on here. And this would, you know, I really say that Heat sets the benchmark for that kind of stuff. And obviously it is more than just the, the tack work that goes on. Um, but it's a part of that layer that makes all of this so believable 
and helps make the more lyrical um, aspects of man's writing, you know, it makes it, it, it kind of like, I, I want to say like it offsets it slightly, like it makes it more, it makes it less kind of out there, if you know what I mean. So the bit where you have, the most obvious scene I can think of where it's this is when um, after uh, Pacino, Vincent Hanna has just discovered the body of the young sex worker that Wayne Bro has brutally mm-hmm. murdered. And discovered that Wayne Grow is actually a serial killer. You have that amazing moment where they're at the crime scene and he's there comforting the mother and is basically basking in just the awfulness that is his job. Um, and then he comes back and you have the conversation that he's having with his current wife. You know, it's his like third or something. Yeah. And her line delivery there, not delivery, delivery is perfect, but the script itself is very like, oh, you, sh- you it's very you poetic. Move between, you move between different graveyards. Yes, like you, you shift live, through the, like that, the detritus yeah. and stuff like that. Like that on its own, if it didn't have the actual like solid foundations beneath it, would probably seem a little bit weird. But it all works so well because ultimately Heat itself is a movie about time. You know, it comes down to... Macaulay's whole thing is like you never walk out getting my old boss or fucking uh, crew guy used to tell me you never walk out of a situation you never get yourself involved in a situation you can't walk around with 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat coming around there the you corner you, you nearly butchered nearly butchered it completely. you nearly butchered I mean, the I ethos did. of the movie completely butchered it anyway but he also mentions that because they also mentioned the in the little white lies video um they added the talk about michael mann added the talk about dreams to the to the to the, to the, the, the diner scene and he's, you know, they talk about different dreams that they both have. And uh, Neil Macaulay says, "Oh, I have this dream where I'm drowning, and I have to force myself to wake up, otherwise I'll I'll stop breathing." He's like, "You want to know what that's about?" And he's like, "Yeah, time." Yeah. And it's so, you know. And we've talked we talked about this after we watched the movie um, last weekend, but also, and when I've read different reviews and stuff of the movie as well, uh, Man is very good at, at show don't tell. And I think he is a very great example of that, where you don't need the characters explaining every little detail. Um, you just the good face acting in this movie De Niro especially I mean he's always been good at that but there's some bits in this movie that absolutely break me with the way he's able to convey cha- changing and multifaceted emotion- <laughs> emotions you know um, or just uh, you know little bits uh, Pacino has said that his performance he was implying it meant, meant to be conveying through his performance that Vincent Hanna is doing a lot of coke yeah, and, and you very much get that through the, as well, yeah. yeah and you don't you, there's no point where you see him using there's no point where it's, it's you know his wife says you have a drug problem you know it's it's just there and yeah. you know and, and you know even with his wife you know you see her there's a shot of her just taking some pills and that's meant to kind of give you a hint of kind of where they're at with their relationship as well and like you know just so many little things like you mentioned before the the look from tom sizemore as they're beating up wayne grow after he's fucked up this heist and he you know some other diners kind of turn look over and he slowly puts his head over doesn't even shake his head or anything just looks and they go back to eating because they know they don't want to mess with him like we don't have anyone like tom sizemore anymore honestly like like as a physical presence we do not have anyone i can't think of anyone at who least could two play who him in heat that. two yeah because they're genuinely. gonna do heat two now you've got the book you're gonna read it i was at a um, delightful conversation with the guy at Blackwell's yesterday where I picked up Heat 2. He was like, oh, Heat 2? What? And I got to talk about how they're doing a Heat 2. Um, so I'm totally obsessed with this movie at the minute. You mentioned the diner scene earlier on. That scene is... I think when I when I was discussing this movie with you before I took you to watch it, I was like, maybe erroneously, I was just kind of like, it's about two of the coolest dudes ever who, if they weren't diametrically opposed to each other on job lines, would be the, would be the best mates. Yeah, and like the bit in the diner 
where um he he they're like I don't want to stop what I'm doing and um they're like neither do I and it's just kind of that that smile if you do what you oh. gotta do if you do what you gotta do I gotta put you down it's yeah. like well you've got in, in my way I'm gonna put you down yeah and you know the that is what is so compelling about this movie obviously you have two fantastic actors um you and know, they do reiterate that they are the best actors of the 20th century in, in yeah this movie. they really do <laughs> um and they are portrayed in the movie as being the best of the best of what they do you know vincent hannah being this really um high you know relentless relentless that's the right word yeah i was gonna say high energy but yeah i mean he is high energy, <laughs> energy. He's he's, up. all that coke he's, <laughs> like, he's like a like you know like if if, if tommy lee jones and the fugitive samuel gerard is like the terminator yeah <laughs> Then in Vin- that chicken suit yes yeah then vincent hannah is like the defective firework like that's just yeah. going off every now and then but it's still doing its job <laughs> yeah and, and you know both of these men have you know and again the movie never says this it, it, it's it's in i think if you try if someone else tried to get this script and make it into a thing today you wouldn't get this level of nuance where both of these men love what they do but they've ruined their lives by doing it um you know so vincent hannah he's on his third marriage um he's he's taken down so many gangs so many um of these thieves i was gonna say thieves guild dnds on the brain <laughs> <laughs> um, he took down the thieves guild of locking wood <laughs> um I, i've already told you and because you said to me that you want to make al pacino's character from heat into a D character so honestly make make him a ranger make his preferred terrain cities it would be a great time anyway um so he said show multiple... me the money <laughs> show me the money. <laughs> that's him on a heist yeah trying to trying to raid um so he uh he's had multiple marriages and is incredibly good at what he does but because of it his personal life is in is in ruins uh you know he by his own admission, if you hooked up with me, baby, you, you knew you were going to have to share me. And, you know, that whole line of, you know, you I'm move about between... the chicken got, got overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's moving about between graveyards and stuff, and she's like, you never talk about yourself. You just, like, switch on and off. Um, and he's like, well, I'm sorry. When I come back from work, I don't want to talk to you about, like, the, the drug addict who microwaved their baby and whatever. Um, and so for him, he loves what he does. He's got a great team behind him. You've got Wes Studi as one of his uh, oh, fellow, yep, fellow boys. from uh, Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, we love that for him. Um, Ted Levine's in it as well. <laughs> and then to contrast that, you have Neil McCauley, who the name is taken from the actual guy yes, that it, it, is. Is, um, yeah. it was based on. Um, and he is a master thief. They are clean, they're concise, they have a really great unit together. He's made up of um, him, Val Kilmer, uh, John Voight is there, kind of uh, <laughs> that's the most amazing hair this in this long, movie this by long the way. hair this really like dark tan um he's like i guess they're um chris is the explosives and kind of like he's the he he, he break he's the guy who cracks the safes yeah. breaks open the doors and is proficient with firearms yeah, yeah. um uh, tom sizemore is michael chorito yeah he's the, he's the muscle and then uh machete we love we love seeing um Machete, yeah. What's, yeah. Trejo what's, what's his real name? Trejo. Danny Trejo, there we yeah. go. Oh no, I'm like, oh Machete, yeah. Yeah, Danny Trejo, Danny as, Trejo, Gilbert, yeah. Trejo. <laughs> as Trejo, yeah, they were like, ah, you know. Yeah. Um and yeah, John Voigt's kind of like their I guess surveyor. He's he, the guy. He, find, he, he's he their finds agent. the scores. He's the agent. He's like, yeah. "Hey, Booby, I got you a new deal." Yeah, ba- yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and so they're very good at what they do, and they take a risk by doing this big heist with some insurance papers, and they bring on this other guy called because Wayne Grove. Chris himself has got a bit of a problem with gambling. That's Val Kilmer's character. Yeah, he's got so... a bit of a. He's got a bit <laughs> of a fragile home life. He's deeply in love with his wife. Mm. Deeply in love. Um, but he keeps on spending the money faster than they can get it. So. 
and and Neil is very much Chris's kind of like he looks upon Chris almost like as a son in this. It's very much yeah, like again yeah. because this movie is noir. Um, <laughs> you know, the first shot we see when De Niro goes home, it's this empty blank that he can just pack up and leave. It's this beautiful like um, beachfront uh, yeah, Santa Monica white, set, fully liminal white space, and there's no furniture, just no blue, nothing, blue sadness. Um, yeah, and Val Kilmer he goes on a bit of a drunken gambling binge, and he you know ends up there, and he's like, "When were you going to start getting furniture in this place?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> um, and yeah, as you say, like uh, Val Kilmer's character Chris, like he is actively cheating on his wife, um, as much as he he loves, and he's just doesn't know he doesn't know how to spend the money that he is earning. Um, and so that's why they keep having to do big scores is because he is basically broke and he's got a wife and, and, and a small kid. And it's strongly implied that, that Neil really sees what he would have wanted in another life through through Chris. And so when he you catches... You give him a second chance. You give yeah, him a second chance. So when chance. he catches his his wife... Um, it's really bad. I don't <laughs> Shacking know up with Hank Azaria. Um, yeah, uh, Charlie, Charlene. Yeah, Ashley Judd, yeah. Uh, so when he catches her having an affair with um, Hank, Hank, Azaria. Hank Azaria, he's like, you're going to go back to him and you're going to give him a second chance. Um, you know, in spite of the fact that he's been cheating on her already, for him, it's like, it's almost like he needs to see them together to be like, oh, it can happen. Um, and as we see throughout the movie, Neil kind of tricks himself to thinking, oh, I can have this happy ending. I can, I can have both. I can have this lavish lifestyle and being a, a master thief. And I can also find, find love that I don't have to just leave behind. But the best thing about that, and I, I love the bit where Neil meets Edie for the first time, played by Amy Brenneman, where they're in the, you know, he goes to the library, he's basically looking up research for the next score or whatever. <laughs> Great meaning between them at the diner. And then it's when they're all, t- all the, the crew are together at the restaurant, and Neil has his big moment of vulnerability there, seeing... They're all there with their kids, Seeing yeah. Chris and Charlene, seeing um, Michael with his partner, seeing Trejo with his partner. He's there basically he's like, alone. he's alone. Yeah. And the thing about that, he instantly goes on the phone to Edie to meet her again. Meanwhile, I believe this is the same scene where they're being surveilled the first time yes, it is, by yeah. Hannah. Because mm-hmm. they're outside so the restaurant on the roof. Yeah. That first, the moment that first bit of vulnerability kicks in, that's when the noose is begin. The net is beginning to tighten, yeah. and the noose is getting a little bit, you know, stricter around the neck. And I really, really <laughs> love that. There's obviously a great thing in here about like self-discipline and rules and stuff like that um but yeah the moment of vulnerability here it just makes it such a great tragedy because even though they're on two opposite sides of the law there's never that equivocation of break law equals bad law enforcement equals good there is like shades of gray on every single aspect of it very similar to how william freakin approaches the crime genre mm-hmm. and stuff like French Connection and to live and die in LA. Um, which Even th- cruising, yeah. And cruising as well, of course, yeah. Um, but it's all just so immaculately, immaculately well done. I really love <laughs> how it is all framed with that. Yeah, they are really each other's equals. And you see this even before the famous diner scene where um so basically vince and hannah they able to they're able to pinpoint one of them i don't know if it's chris or michael i think it might be chris that they're able to get tabs on and so that's when they start they figure it's out michael. Like, it's yeah, michael because they, they have the the cellmate that was with him yes yeah, yeah. yeah and so they figure out um like oh it's this group we're gonna keep tabs on them because they're gonna strike again 
and there's a bit where they're all in this big freight yard and they're like oh we've got an exit point here exit point here and um they leave and so then the police the police all come and they're looking around like oh what, what are they looking for here and then they're um, looking at us the lapd <laughs> and it's it pans out and you see that it's de niro's there taking photos of them and it's like oh Oh, look does at him not, go! Does it not just remind you of the bit in the Batman Superman movie? Genuinely, <laughs> you peaked. Oh man! Genuinely. Watch the Batman Superman movie, folks, from 1997. The DCAU one. That's that's got a similar. It does. It does. Yeah, to go yeah. on a tangent. I forgot, earlier on when I was mentioning, I got my my Friedkin tangent. What I was gonna say there, I completely kind of lost. Got lost in my own brain thoughts because God, January is crazy. And, but what I was going to say is that kind of like that, that line between criminality and, and the law and justice and how justice is a kind of a gray area that gets achieved on both sides because Michael in this movie does a lot like when they're, when they're firing in the crossfire in the bank heist, everyone there is like, there's civilians getting killed. Mm Innocent people getting killed. He takes a child as hostage. Who looks ex- the spitting yes. image of one of his daughters. Yeah. And I, that is, they, again, they don't say it. They don't go like, look, look how ironic. He had such a great family life and he was the one who could have backed out and he went, nah, the action is the juice. Yeah. Um, and he's willing to cowardly grab this young girl to defend himself when that is his that is his daughter. Yes. It's, you it's know, meant to show, like, it shows what he has given up to get that yeah. thrill. And it's you showing know? the ruthlessness of it all. But one thing I do like is that if any kind of justice gets achieved in this movie, obviously you could argue that Macaulay's death, spoilers, <laughs> counts as justice because yeah. he, you know, took down scores and innocent people died. Um, but he is also the guy who kills Wayne Grow. Yeah. who the police were putting up in protective custody. Without and knowing com- that he was a serial killer. Without knowing that he was a serial killer. So yeah. I like that blurring of everything mm-hmm. as well. You know, when the temperature rises, the lines get blurred. They Heat get smudged. Up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think, you know, objectively, you know, when you step back and look at the movie as a whole and you get to the ending, you're like, okay, you know, Neil is the worst person here. <laughs> you know, he is, you know, unlike um, your boy in a Thief, um, James Kahn. James, James Kahn. Um, Literally, the character uh, is called James Kahn. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Macaulay's gang kills people. They kill a lot of people um, in the in the state in the you know in these. They're ruthless. They're efficient because they yeah, want to yeah, safeguard yeah. themselves. So when Wayne Grow, you know, gives the goo- just executes one pointedly, they have to kill, they the, kill other the other two, two because yeah. one is in self defense and the other guy is execution style because it's less witnesses and less yeah. evidence to. To trace them back. Yeah, so, so you know, Hannah is, is very good at what he does, but he's not, you know, he's quite absent. Um, I wouldn't say absent in terms of like, oh, he's an absent father type. He's just not present emotionally when he's at home because he's processing all the awful stuff he's done throughout yeah, the day. Sorry if the goddamn chicken, chicken got overcooked. Over- <laughs> 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 um, you know, so, and again, it's all, it's all like implied stuff or it's like subtle like things they do in the performances and whatnot. Um great time great time um yeah it, it, it's there's so many little things like like that such as when um the charlene she's in i was gonna say it's not winner's protection but basically they found her and they're like you're gonna tell us like when your husband oh comes and down she's the in road. the motel and she goes out and yeah. she sees him and he smiles at her and she smiles back and then she does this little motion <sighs> she does this little motion on the grate that's meant obviously at one point you is implied to show like oh you gotta you gotta leave like people are here and the way his smile just drops is devastating val kilmer man yeah like, val, what a guy. val kilmer just incredible actor 
career cut way too short. Yeah. Um, just an incredible performer. Um, and I totally had forgotten just how, even though obviously Pacino and De Niro rightly dominate the screen time in this movie, he is like third build and he does get quite a lot to do and he is exciting to watch in the film. Yeah, and it's almost equally a tragedy that, you know, he's the only, spoilers again, um, he's the only one of the crew that lives at the end. And that's and the exciting he... thing with Heat 2 is that he's being hunted in Whoa! Heat 2. <laughs> um, but he's the only one that lives at the end, but he has to leave his wife who he, he loves and his child and has to, um, you know, escape, start a new life. And that's almost as as tragic in a in, yeah, a, in a way. Totally. Um. You know the because you know as we get later down the line when the heat is cranked up, Neil's like, "Oh, Edie, you gotta come with me, baby. Let's go." And she's like, "No, I hate you. How could you?" And then they're gonna go together. And then what does he do? He's smiling at her, and then he swifts that car like. Oh, it's when, when turns when, that um, car when, around, when, uh, and he's like, "Oh, I've got one last thing." When to do. Nate calls in and is like, "By the way, not that you'd care, but Wayne Grow is at this hotel." Oh. And bearing in mind that Wayne Grow is the guy that has sold them out to yeah. to the police, so that their score got completely rumbled. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you're just like, "No, you idiot!" <laughs> but also, it is really satisfying to say, "Look at me, look at me, yeah. look at me," and, and then he gets he shoots that look. Him. Oh my god, mm-hmm. just absolutely beautiful. The one thing that I was gonna say. Um, that I really, really like here. And I feel like I vocalized these opinions so much better after watching the movie in the cinema. It's been a, nearly a week now and uh, my I do not know what's going on in my brain. I think I've just got like a bajillion different cats just <laughs> riding around in there. Um, but one thing that I hadn't appreciated on my first watch of Heat all those years ago was the importance of the airport in the finale yes. as a location. I remember thinking at the time when I first watched it, I was like, this is a, such a strangely, weirdly low-key setting for the finale. It feels a little bit noisy and a little bit kind of like weirdly lit or whatever. Um, but watching it around this time, I'm like, well, no, it makes perfect sense because if you look at an airport, it is a transitionary space between journeys. You are moving on to your next destination within that space. And I think, I could be wrong here, but I think man cleverly foreshadows who is going to win dozens of minutes before the showdown between Hannah and Macaulay takes place. Mm-hmm. And that is with Natalie Portman's character's Lauren's uh, attempted suicide mm-hmm. in his in his bathtub. Um, so for context, she is um, Vincent Hannah's stepdaughter. She is clearly struggling with the fact that her birth dad is not around is constantly count like not showing up to when he's going to be visiting her um and because both of her you know her her mom and her her stepdad are going through a bit of a weird time like she is clearly not okay and again it's not a thing where the movie's like god she's so suicidal oh you gotta watch out for her you know it's just something that is bubbling beneath the surface uh, and is brought to the forefront when um they uh, have their just breakup. De- Justine um, well, cheats, him out. Che- well, cheats on him. With Xander Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, 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 why are you not angry? Well, of course I'm angry. Does it mean you get to watch my TV? <laughs> <laughs> but I like that in that in that moment, he is being given a reason to live beyond just his work. Yes. And because I... honestly, he, the relationship is the thing as well. But he's also got someone depending on him and he's realizing yes. that he can't just be a soulless husk 
drifting yeah, through. Yeah, because she chooses to go to his yes. um, hotel room to attempt to commit suicide. Um, and, you know, that's his sense. That's kind of, as you say, the sense of purpose in his personal life. And um, I saw a couple of people on Letterboxd in the reviews talking about the micromannerisms, eh, if you will. Mm. And one of them being the amazing shot where he runs out the hospital and slides down those set of stairs and people saying how oh it's him just ready to go back into that chase because he can't give it up and i completely disagree i very much read that as following the immediate conversation he has with his wife um i very much read that as that's him with a renewed sense of purpose he's just got the call that um, macaulay's still out there when he thought he'd gotten away and it is him sliding down those rails going, this is what I'm, I'm here to do. I'm not going to die. I'm. This is my closure. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I, that's how I read I it. I completely yeah. agree with yeah. you. It's, it's him going down there because he knows that he has to He live. has to end it. He has yeah. something to fight for now. But yeah, he has to end it so that he can yeah. live. Like yeah. it's beyond, it, and in that moment, I think it just goes beyond a job for him. Mm-hmm. I'm getting really emotional discussing this because I find it so beautiful. I mean, because... to be fair, we put on the end song. Oh before, my God. The ending uh, orchestral score before called God Paves Way Over Water or whatever. Yeah by Moby and I I started crying yes no it's um... I started crying um, so yeah but it's, it's like it's, a, it's an emotional movie it, you didn't tell me heat could... would make me cry I know I, I didn't think heat would make it didn't I, when I first watched it all those years ago it didn't make me cry but I was there holding back the tears yeah. at multiple points in, in the cinema and and this isn't me saying that like Neil deserved to die more than Hannah what I'm what I'm saying here is that because it's still heartbreaking when that moment happens because they're just too you know, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. They're just on two. They're on the same trajectory, going in different directions. Just guys being dudes. Just guys being yeah. dudes. And so that's what I love about the airport space as well is that going into that final bit, you have pretty much all the evidence you need for why Hannah is going to win. Um, in that in that exchange, um. And it's not just a simple matter of Neil compromising his rules. And you could say that Edie is his Lauren. That is, you know, his reason to live beyond his work. You totally say that. Absolutely. Um, but he abandons that when he leaves her at the hotel. Yeah, honestly, it's so... It is just like... It's like a Greek tragedy in mm-hmm. so many ways. You know, he goes to the hotel to kill Wayne Grows, the last kind of loose end. And... To be fair, as as much as you're like, oh, you idiot, when he like swerves the car around to go to the hotel, um, it makes in in that moment it if makes sense. If some scumbag Nazi serial killer betrayed your crew, you want to give them a double yeah. He's tap. A, he betrayed the crew. Um, he is the reason that Danny Trejo's character dies, and he violently beat you know yeah. beats them up and then rats them out. Um, so you know, there's, who's to say that he can't then track them down again to kill them? You know that you know that in in his mind, I think that that makes sense. But because of him doing that. Um, you know, the heat, if you will, yeah, comes down onto this this um this hotel because they are watching Wayne Grove because they know that he's probably gonna show up. Um and that's when Opportuno gets the call saying, Oh, he's still out there and he 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 goes with a renewed sense of purpose. Um and you know, he comes out the hotel, walks towards the car, Edie comes out and he just sees Vince and Hannah running towards him. And he just walks away and she she this look of devastation on both of their faces as he just has to walk away from there um at, the, at that point you it's like it, it is this realization moment where he where he's like god i could never have both yeah you know he tries so hard to like he's like oh you can come away with me and like we can be together and it'll be fine we'll go live in new zealand yeah and, and it's just he's cultivated such this routine almost this kind of per- this this i say perfect life in the sense that it is um 
there's an alibi for everything, I suppose, in the sense that when I make, say the perfect life, I mean, as in like everything is like blank slate, like it is exactly what it needs to be. So if he needs to ditch it, he can just go. And she is this kind of. She's the human element. Yeah, she is this human-like stain beyond, on the perfect beyond the white. word, yeah, yeah, living yeah. beyond the word. You can make it. You can make the movie about that as well. Yeah, and so so, and he has to give that up. And so, if when he is running away, he has nothing. Um, he would literally have nothing. And so, for him to to die, um, because he says when he when he shot, he's like, "I told you I was never going back," and he was never going to go back to to prison. Um, that is almost his peace for him in a way to stop running to stop doing all that but it is still tragic and awful but he could yes. he could never have that well, life. no and it's great when they're having you know they run onto the literal kind of <laughs> they like they, they go onto the landing strip and the runway of, of the airport so literally we are getting to the point where the destination needs to enter well the, the journey needs to enter its next phase mm-hmm. It's all. I, I love how beautifully framed this is. It's a great yeah. looking movie. Um, and you have that bit where, again, it's up there. Like my, one of my favorite shots in in movie history is the bit in Thief where James Khan does the reload after going into Bob Prosky's house and is basically getting his revenge. I love that shot so much. The Colt forty five, you know, the 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 nickel plating like gleaming in the moonlight, just incredible. This where the airplane engines. You have that that visceral, audible element to it as well, are getting louder and louder and louder, oh, and the lights so come over, yeah. and you see the shadow creep out, and just the 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 the, the way that the, the rapid cutting of frames between Hannah yeah. and Nero, you know, it zooms in on Hannah as he's shooting, and then just you say that the Moby song kicks in, and he they're just holding they each hold other's hands, hands, and it's oh. just I. That is as he stares out into the bu- into the dark sky, <laughs> the endless po- as he stares out into the endless possibilities. Of, oh, yeah, of, yes, of this dark sky, dark starry sky. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just the the really great audio mixing of the of the airplanes and the lights going over it. It's so stressful, and I was I was so tense. I was like going to cry, like as they were both like hiding behind those big um cubes, uh, yeah, yeah, um, trying to, yeah, yeah, trying to shoot each other. Like I, and in that moment, I was like, I don't know who needs to die. I don't know who needs to die. And then I made my peace in the moment that Neil needs to die. Mm. Um, we, we talked about this afterwards, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, the video game A Way Out. Um, I forget the name of the studio that did it, but they also did Two Brothers and it's, um, it's that Joseph Farris guy. Yes, it was that, and um, it takes two. So they play. They make lots of games about about like multiplayer stuff. Um, the ending of that of that game, if you don't know, um, we find out one of the guys is actually an undercover cop, and then it switches perspectives where both the players then have to fight each other to the death, and there's different endings based on who wins. And it's set at, at an airport, um, or the initial confrontation is, and so I wouldn't be surprised if um, that took inspiration from the ending of, of he because it's very similar kind of way where they both have this camaraderie together. I'm sure again this will be the ending of. Of, of heat and many other things i'm sure have been referenced other than that one specific video game i played <laughs> that one time um but it, was, it was just interesting in in that sense but um genuinely me to t- just turning to Hewan as the lights came up and going you didn't tell me he would make me cry and he just went it's magic isn't it <laughs> well, genuinely i think it's a beautiful thing to have a movie affect you that's that profoundly uh, because it's not even like um, it's not even like it's doing something exploitative it's not like you're watching a wounded animal make it out yeah. of like an, of a captive situation 
things like to dunk on Free Willy in this or whatever. <laughs> but you know, it's not like you got a cute CGI creature who's been hurt or whatever. It's like you are spiritually connected to these two guys' journeys, mm-hmm. um, and you feel the profound weight of it all. You know, the idea of like because it's it's something we can all relate to. We're not high stakes heist crewmen. We're not coked up police detectives, as far as I'm aware. Um, but we are all conscious of time and t- the passage of time and running out of time. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that that dynamic as well of like just like being put in two different positions where you, you're facing off against someone who you have respect for. It's just beautifully, beautifully done. And you really do buy the connection between these two guys and it's just so character driven and ultimately human but also takes on that you know that that urban spiritual nature that that man is so great at tapping into um whether that be here thief um or collateral you know the, the, those are all dynamics that i'm very you see i'm very there. sad i forgot about collateral because i literally hounded you for ages to watch it before i knew it was a man movie i was like oh this movie just kick ass you need to watch collateral um i confirmed just then um de niro and pacino were in a movie together in 2008 called uh righteous kill and it is not good oh yeah, yeah. um <laughs> we'll pretend that didn't exist because it's just it's just this and the irishman uh, the, um, the, the irishman Irish yeah i'm very sad that the end of this movie is as great as the orchestral score is we don't get the heat is on that's because it was a beverly the hills heat car is on. no no we need the heat is on for this um <laughs> any other heat isms or heat moments that we haven't talked about that you think is important to, to touch on well you mentioned the shootouts you mentioned how great Tom Sizemore is. You mentioned, you know, the, the dynamics of Hannah's performance. You know, the emotional finale. You know, the exchanges there. The human. The one thing I just want to emphasize is the human nature of it all. And I feel like I was. There have been a few. I've, I, thanks to the times that I've watched a lot of movies that I have watched multiple times on the small screen, and I would consider to be my favorite movies or like movies that I deeply revere and appreciate. Um, but this and i think the silence of the lambs are the two that i have been most profoundly impacted by in terms of having it on the big screen with silence it was the sense of claustrophobia was way more transparent watching it on the biggest screen possible with this i don't know there was just something about experiencing this again and hearing you know the opening salvo of that M4 going off from Val Kilmer on the street, and just everything else in the th- between. The 35 millimeter was very nice looking. It was very crisp. It, it was good. Um, the, the nighttime scenes looked so good. And I just, yeah, no, I, I, I just, I was, I've been, I, I, I was touched by this movie in a way that I didn't expect to going into my revisit. Again, it was always a movie that I appreciated and held up as a masterpiece, but not something that I had a deeply emotional connection to, and that was. Forged is such a wanky term to say it, but it, it it was definitely developed watching it on the big screen, and I genuinely feel like in in my heart of hearts that he is now like one of my all timers. Like it's just a, a beautiful experience. Yeah, it it is um such a strong as you said, man is very good at doing um you know may bro guys being dudes bromances just that kind of masculinity yeah masculinity baby and is very good at writing and di- and directing those and he's directing the shit out of everyone in this movie and they all give fantastic performances um i think for for me you know that it it is it just affected me in a way i did not 
ex- expect in any whatsoever. He might go on my letterbox and be like, but Zan, you only gave it four stars. That doesn't mean I think it's a bad movie and that I don't like her. It didn't affect me emotionally. It just means it's not a movie that hits me in such a way that will personally affect me and make me give it five stars. You know, I think it's a fantastic time. Um, I, You know, if you see the Pacino memes and the, the edited... Uh, Hank Azaria one with him where they have the Snapchat filters. Give me what you got. Yeah, give me what, give you, me got. what like, you got. <laughs> you know, you'll see those out of context and go, haha, funny. And they are haha, funny. Um, but there's so much around that which makes Vincent Hannah such an interesting uh, Beyblade whirlwind of a, mm. of a, of a character. Um, and yeah, it's a really great performance from De Niro, as, as always, really. Um, he's De Niro, you know, as much as he does play a type in, in many a film, he, his range when he wants to is really, really good. It's um, interesting. I forgot to bring this up earlier on, but when I read Cinema Speculation the other year, the Tarantino book, he was talk- they had an entire chapter on Parker mm-hmm. adaptations, um, the Donald Westlake, uh, Richard Stark pseudonym uh, books, all about, you know, Parker obviously adapted most famously in 1967 with John Borman and Point Blank, which is one of my favourite movies of all time, starring Lee Marvin. And you have The Outfit with uh, Robert Duvall, which I haven't seen, which I really want to. Um, but Tarantino had the unconventional read of he as like, oh, this is like a Parker movie. Like, Neil McCauley is like Parker. He has his own set of rules. I don't necessarily agree, to be honest. I think there is more humanity <laughs> to Neil McCauley than there is to Parker, who is basically a vengeful ghost. Um, but I thought that in itself was interesting, and I'm very, very curious to see how Heat 2 ends up, because I don't think this is a project, before the book was announced, many people would have expected to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Mann's latter-day efforts. I haven't seen Black Hat yet, and I haven't seen Ferrari, but by and large, I'm yet to see a Michael Mann movie I've disliked. Um, I know I need to see the 2006 Miami Vice remake as well because I know lots of people have reappraised that as like a you know like a modern classic, and I'm looking forward to watching that because it opens up with no encore <laughs> by Lincoln Park and Jay Z. Um, my question to you though, though for for Heat Two, obviously I haven't read it yet, mm-hmm. um, but given that it's both a prequel and a sequel with sequences set in in I believe 1988 and others set in 95, and then some in 2000 mm-hmm. as well, um, who do you think? Who, who can who can possibly come away and match Pacino, De Niro, and Kilmer in this movie? And I, I don't even know how you can even replicate Tom Sizemore because we do not have another Tom Sizemore. Yeah, um, remind me of um, who's been rumored so, so far. Adam Driver has been ruined, uh, ruined, rumored for the part of uh, Macaulay. Yeah. Uh, Austin Butler and I believe Oscar Isaac have been rumored for the part of young Vincent Hanna. Yeah. Um and. That's I, I could see. I think Austin Butler has the floppy hair to pull off. Yeah, Hannah. I need to see Austin Butler in more stuff. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want an Eddie Redmayne situation where we went, "Wow, such a profound performance," and then we get bad. What, stuff what, after what that. profound performance did Eddie Redmayne give? Well, because he won for Theory of Every Everything. I'm not saying it was good. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying it was good, but you know what I mean. Like I don't, you know, I want yes. Austin Butler got a lot of praise for Elvis, and he is absolutely phenomenal in that movie. But you know, I, I don't want to just shove him in leading roles to be like, ah, he's great. It's now, interesting. You know? I came up with the thought the other day that Robert Pattinson would be really, really good as Chris Val Kilmer's character. But then uh, Joe Johnston told me, a coworker at What Culture, who will be on the podcast soon. I still got a James Bond episode to edit. Um, he's <laughs> realized that. Robert Pattinson is now older than Val Kilmer was than Val Kilmer starred in Heat. 
<laughs> oh wow that's kind of wild yeah. yeah yeah i mean robert pattinson in my head i'm like oh that's maybe a bit typecast but no i'm just thinking because he was in good time mm. robert pattinson is such a diverse actor now and is, is in you know so much so much stuff um i think it would be quite fun for him to do something something like this um if anything my one gripe is that i hate the fact it will be called heat too because of how marketing works <laughs> what an awful t- what an awful <laughs> literally what an awful title heat Two. yeah electric boogaloo turn up the heat too hot too heated i don't know <laughs> <laughs> reheated reheat oh reheated hate that yeah um yeah you know we've had this discussion before on, on in in general i don't know if we've talked about it on the pod before but we're kind of moving away from the era of having actors you know mm-hmm. like into in the sense of like stars pers- yeah like this gravitas you know we've, we're kind of coming to the end of the second era almost of of hollywood stars and now it's like who are the newcomers you know um so yeah i'm not i'm not sure in a lot of in a lot of senses um i think adam driver is an obvious pick for for, for de niro um you know, not just because he's been in obviously Ferrari recently, but he just ha- he kind of looks like him as well, and I think he could have that kind of he could pull off that that kind of personality and that kind of role. The rest, who knows? Make him unknowns, honestly, if you mm. if you want to, to be honest. Um, and maybe you show like their progression mm-hmm. uh, through through the eras. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, as you say, it's a thing that doesn't you know have to exist, but. Michael Mann wrote it himself, and it's apparently it is apparently very good. Um, as you will, sh- I'm sure you'll find out when you read it. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure. Um, overall, I'm glad that um I went to watch it with you. Um, I've been truly manned. I've been truly Michaeled. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, she does have a great ass. Um, and his head is all the way up. It that gives you a nice little segue to talk for like. A tiny, tiny bit about showgirls if you wanted to. Oh, I was gonna make a joke about how I liked the part where Al Pacino went, um, "Oh, I'm erect. Why aren't you erect?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> smart, tiny segue. Showgirls was a great time. Yeah, showgirls, showgirls was a great showgirls, time. Showgirls is good. TM. Uh. <laughs> showgirls is good. TM. Um, in both the right and and wrong ways. Verhoeven don't miss yeah he don't yeah. miss i'm gonna have to show you starship troopers yes yeah, soon, yeah, yeah, yes because that movie you're gonna love that mm-hmm. you're gonna love that shit but yeah this was our look back at heat which we both very much enjoyed and i hope uh you all enjoyed listening to that thank you for listening and i hope you're also looking forward to a new year of wheel of damage we've still got so many stonewall classics that we haven't covered on the podcast Heat was one of them and we've got lots more coming up. So please make sure to keep things tuned to our social media. And obviously we'll be pinging into your Spotify and Apple feeds and, and all the rest of it. Before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown, who is now back at working at What Culture, which is a the lovely lad, time. The boy, yeah. um, it's great to have him back. But yeah, thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so. We are over on Patreon at We Love Damn Movies. Um, also on Twitter, we love dad movies. I'm there at you and ruins things. Um, in terms of other stuff I have going on, I recently did a new article for Shelf Dust on Pulp, which is a Western noir comic done by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips, which came out in 2020, which was my comic of the year in 2020 when I was the comics guy at What Culture. Um, I got to write about it in the the in the context of the death of the old West trope and. I was really happy with it. So if, if you haven't checked that out yet and you enjoy reading comics or have an opinion about westerns and noir, then 
that'd be nice because it's, it's a decent little, in my opinion, it's, it's a fun little read. You know, you just do it. But yeah, this has been the Wheel of Dummies podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Zan. For joining me. Oh, I, I do try, darling. Yeah, I mean, we got to, you know, what is love if not getting to cry together at the ending of Heat? <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.